Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the status quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute and part of the Christians for Liberty Network. I'm your host, Doug Stewart, and I want to talk with you today about Libertarian Christian core values. If you've been a longtime listener of the show, you know that about five years ago, we actually released a set of five core values on our website. We actually did a handful of episodes. I think we did one per episode, and then we did like a summary one. We'll uh, put those in the show notes page. But what I want to do is, now that it's been five years, I actually happened to go back and slowly read and digest what we were saying in our core values a little bit ago. And by a little bit ago, I mean like a couple of weeks ago, I had occasion to kind of share this with somebody. And I was reading them and just sort of reflecting on them. And I was like, wow, these really hold up which was part of the goal. The part of the goal of creating these core values was something that in 10 years or more, we'd look back and say, yeah, we still hold to these values. Maybe a few wording changes perhaps, but by and large, we want to say this really works and holds true. And, you know, the kind of vision was like if LCI had a really nice office somewhere and wherever Liberty Stan, uh, we want to go have an office, what would be plastered on our walls? What would we spend lots of money putting on our big lobby in the back, you know, as people walk into this huge lobby for the Libertarian Christian Institute? That's kind of the, the dream. What, what would we put there? So it had to be pretty permanent. And I am happy to, <laughs> I'm happy to report that at least five years later, we'll see what happens in another five, another 10, 20 years or whatever. But uh, at least five years later, this really holds up. So what I want to do is share this with people who may haven't actually been to our uh, website, libertarianchristians.com slash about or slash mission. I think you can get there to both. But if you just go to the website and go up to the top and click about us, you'll be able to read the five core values that we have. So I'm going to actually go through them and talk a little bit about the relevancy of them five years later. And maybe if there's some inside information we can share with you on my recollection. So libertarian Christian core value number one is Christian political philosophy should be informed by a holistic view of scripture, reason, and historical theology. And here's the description underneath that. A comprehensive view of the biblical narrative indicates that the church's proclamation of Jesus's lordship is not a mere personal statement of allegiance. It is also an anti-imperial declaration that the way of peace comes through Christ's countercultural kingdom of love and service. Followers of Christ are called to be a prophetic voice against the powers of domination and violence. The state, the monopolized institution of force and society, is never to be confused with the kingdom of God. And when the power of the state grows, the rightful influence of churches, families, and local communities is diminished. So that's core value number one. Christian political philosophy should be informed by a holistic view of scripture, reason, and historical theology. One of the things that makes us really hold up is that right now, I'm recording this in late 2023, and we're about to go into an election year. A lot of conservatives are trying to figure out, you know, how do we oust the current Democratic president? What do we do about the specter of Donald Trump being the front runner at this time, at least in polls? What do we do with the rise of Christian nationalism? And there are a lot of Christians who are considering, well, maybe we do need to take the reins of power. Maybe we do need to assert Jesus's lordship over everything, including the state. Or maybe we need to go beyond a personal statement of allegiance and make what we believe about the Bible, about 
Christian faith about, you know, what God wants from us and what God wants from society, we need to impose that from the top down, or we need to impose that from the federal level. One of the things that LCI has often said, I've often said on this show, is that our allegiance to Jesus is going to be something that will come in conflict with allegiance to any other political power. Another thing that we talk about on this show is that faith is personal, but it's also more than just a personal statement, right? What we do as Christians has ramifications outside of our inner life. Because how? what is it to be transformed? Just your thoughts? No, if we're going to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that transformation is actually going to manifest itself in our daily behavior. Well, our daily behavior is going to be involved in things that are what we would call political. And not political in the like, here's how you're going to vote or whatnot, but more like, how do you interact with people in the polis, in the city, in the community? How you interact with those in your community is actually going to be pretty important. So when followers of Christ are called to be a prophetic voice, that prophetic voice is against that which is domination, violence, and oppressive. And so the term prophetic voice, at least at the time when we wrote this in 2018, was borrowed from, and I'm sure more other people have used it, and maybe even people used it before him, is a Walter Brueggemann, who wrote a book in the 1970s, which is now still in its like 40th anniversary edition or whatever pretty recently, was um, using the word the prophetic imagination. In fact, it just got done uh, finishing up a book study with some LCI insiders and those close to us on that book in particular. And the problem with the book, not to get into this too much, but the problem with the book is that he's a leftist and he views the world through the lens of oppressor and oppressed. And so he sees the church, uh, he sees the prophets, and he sees Jesus in the prophetic tradition basically being a voice against the powers of domination. Now, as a libertarian, I can say, yes, that's true. However, people like Brueggemann don't include the state here. They want to make it all about, uh, you know, either capitalism or the market or some other things. And so that's a conversation for another, for another episode. But the reason that we put this verbiage in here is that we want to make it clear that for Christians to follow Christ is to also wage war in a way against the powers of darkness. And that is through the word, through the word of God, through preaching the gospel. Another part of this uh, core value, which is really important, is that the kingdom of God and the state should not be confused. It should not be confusing, it should not be merged. And this is sort of what happens when you see Christian nationalists talk about making disciples of all nations, and they kind of confuse what that all means. But what, what they're saying is that they want the state to be an arm of the kingdom of God, and over time, all the kingdoms of this world will be subsumed by the kingdom of God and will have, you know, utopia, I guess. I, I don't know. Ironically, this is interesting. The Alex Bernardo, he actually wrote an article on Christian nationalism from the left. And the left basically is doing the same thing. They just don't call it Christian nationalism. They don't call it nationalism at all. What they do is they consider it to just be, oh, we're speaking truth to power and we're following Jesus in the public space. But really what they're asking is for Christian policies to be implemented just on their side of the side of the spectrum. So, you know, this is why LCI has been against Christian nationalism, because we don't believe that the kingdom of God and the state are to be confused with one another. We even have a shirt on our website, the state is not the kingdom of God. So that's core value number one. I'll repeat it again one more time. Christian political philosophy should be informed by a holistic view of scripture, reason, and historical theology. Here's core value number two. A free and civil society depends upon respect for the non-aggression principle. And here's a description. 
The ethics modeled by Christ in the early church call us to change the world and build the kingdom of God through service rather than force, through persuasion rather than coercion. The use of political force to compel ethical behavior cannot change hearts and only antagonizes our struggle against sin, death, and evil. Christians must call for repentance from sin and humility and never with violence. As such, a consistently Christian ethic always embodies non-aggression. So what holds back a Christian from being a nationalist? The non-aggression principle, the principle that Jesus did not use force and would not use force to compel others to follow him or to do ethical behavior. So this is one of those things where I, you know, every now and then I have these doubts and it's like, well, maybe if we had this law, it would kind of nudge people. It's not really that coercive or it would just kind of puts parameters around things. And this is kind of where, this is the slippery slopes, right? Where you get to be like, well, if we just had that one little law, if we just did this, this is where I come back to this principle that if we want to change the world, it has to be through service rather than force, through persuasion rather than coercion, okay? And I said this when I was becoming a libertarian and realizing that this was far more compatible than leftism, which I was for a little while sort of enamored with, was basically if my gospel needs the power of the state to be effective, then it's a very weak gospel. And it's not even a gospel at all because it's, well, it is, it's the gospel of Rome. It's the gospel of Caesar that Caesar can bring peace. That's not really the true gospel, the gospel according to Jesus. And so the use of political force to compel ethical behavior is just, just wrong. And so to do that is to basically step outside what it means to be a Christian. And so you're not acting Christianly if you're calling for this. So, you know, as libertarian Christians, we want to make sure that we you know, have conversations with people and, and help them come back to a right way of thinking about this. And sometimes that takes time. But if we want people to change, if we want society to change, we need to do that by calling for repentance. And we do it not with violence. And so this is a really, really relevant topic because right now the left is like super excited that Hamas attacked Israel because, well, they were oppressed and we need to right the wrongs and so violence is fine. Or you go back a couple of years and you see the quote unquote mostly peaceful protests, but, you know, the quiet part that wasn't being spoken or sometimes was, was actually that, you know, violence is actually just sometimes necessary. No, we need to stand against that. Self-defense as the only permitted use of aggression or force if we're abiding by the non-aggression principle. So if we want to preach the good news and call for repentance, that's the non-aggression way. So core value number two for a Christian libertarian or a libertarian Christian is a free and civil society depends upon respect for the non-aggression principle. Hey folks, I just want to take a break from our episode to ask you to consider becoming an LCI insider. We want everyone to feel engaged and excited about what LCI is doing. And the best way to do that is if you become a monthly supporter at $20 or more per month, you will become what we're calling our LCI insiders. You get some free gifts. You get an exclusive Christ is King magnetic lapel pin. We give you two copies of Faith Seeking Freedom. We send monthly eBooks months ahead of when they're released on our public website. You can get discounts on our swag on our online store, and you get exclusive invites to our quarterly live streams with the LCI staff. In addition to that, whenever we do publish something like a physical book like Strangers with Candy, we'll also send you those as well. So the best way to stay up to date on what we're doing and to support what the Libertarian Christian Institute is doing, including supporting the podcast you're listening to right now, is to become an LCI insider. So to do that, go to libertarianchristians.com slash donate and then choose recurring monthly gift and you'll be added to our list automatically. Thank you for your support and I'll let you get back to the podcast. 
Here's core value number three. Individual liberty and the common good are not at odds. As God is intrinsically relational within the Trinity, so also human beings are created to live in community. Sin has marred the communal relationships for which we were created by pitting individuals against God, against one another, and against the earth for which we are called to be wise stewards. Affirming the dignity, worth, and rights of the individual as image bearer of God is a first step toward restoring authentic, Christ-centered community among diverse individuals. Because society is comprised of individuals, a healthy society requires healthy individuals. Through voluntary cooperation and respect for freedom, people can join together to trade, innovate, create, collaborate, share, and build a world that simultaneously respects the individual and betters our neighbor. So one of the reasons I put this in was because I wanted the word common good to be part of our core values. This is really critical to me. I don't think common good is a bad word. I also don't think that libertarians should shy away from it. In fact, it's a really simple way to sort of co-opt the left's use of the word common good and get us in conversation with people. If we only talk about individual liberty, it seems like we're just starting an argument with people. Well, you believe in the common good, but no, individual liberty. And we have to explain to them that these things are not at odds. In fact, if we honor individual liberty and respect the dignity and worth and rights of the individuals because they're an image bearer of God. And if you're talking to a non-Christian, maybe they don't care about that particular piece. What we do is we end up with a better common good. It is better for the common good for individuals to be free. And, you know, again, we are emphasizing in this core value the importance of individual liberty while also simultaneously emphasizing the importance of solidarity, emphasizing the importance of community, emphasizing the importance of being in sometimes communal relationships, right? We even say sin has marred the communal relationships for which we were created. Hmm. And this is like the most leftist sounding statement we could ever utter here at LCI. And I mean that sort of tongue in cheek. It's like, we want people to know that we are all about people being in community with one another. We respect the right of an individual to be like, hey, I'm out. I don't want to be part of this community and go be a monk or not a monk, but yeah, well, a monk they want, but go be a hermit. I sometimes want to use the word monk instead of hermit sometimes. They want to go be a hermit in the mountains. Okay, that's fine. You don't have to be in community, but for us to be truly human beings, for us to be really, truly flourishing, we are going to be in some sense communal and relational with others. So this is a um, tongue-in-cheek lately because it was a Biden slogan. I think that we can build back better if we do it voluntarily, not through top-down coercion. So that's core value number three. Individual liberty and the common good are not at odds. Here's core value number four. Social institutions matter for human flourishing. Humans are created to be social beings, and God's design is that we work together to develop institutions which promote human flourishing. Insofar as these institutions are voluntary, peaceful, and non-coercive, human beings possess the God-given capacity to solve the worst of problems in the best of ways. Social institutions founded upon mutual cooperation, such as marriage, family, church, organizations, and businesses, are vital for authentic humanity. You can kind of see a running theme here. You know, at LCI, we're not all about the rugged individual. You can be a rugged individual, but we're created to be social beings. Our design is that we work well together. I wasn't even thinking about leading from the last point into this one by talking about being social beings. But it is really important that we consider that we don't have to organize society because that word actually connotes the idea of like, oh, well, somebody needs to be managing it and so forth. But the question isn't really whether or not we organize society, but how. And emergent order is probably the best way. 
the free market does a really, really good job of producing really great outcomes. And then we can work together to pick up the slack or cover what was the side effects or the negative uh, externalities or correct for things that we didn't see coming and so forth. And so basically the myth here is that in order to have a vital and authentic community, things have to be planned. No, social institutions matter. Those sort of institutions that are founded on mutual cooperation are the ones that are actually going to work. Just a little side note here for those who might be a minarchist versus an anarchist libertarian, there's room in here for minarchism in the same sort of like Bastiat kind of way. If a person is able to cooperate with another individual and another individual and another individual, and they all get together and say, you know what, why don't we hire this guy, you know, John, he's really strong. We're just going to pay him to like protect our neighborhood so that we don't have to all get security systems. He's got it covered and we're going to save money doing that. And everybody says, sure. Okay. I mean, that's a homeowners association's literally on steroids, I guess. But if there is a governance structure that we might want to call a government that is doing that, and it is essentially done through the cooperation and voluntary assent of those who are part of it, that kind of falls under the voluntary piece, right? That's sort of permitted. It's founded on mutual cooperation. So insofar as communities are founded upon mutual consent and cooperation, we're good. Whether or not you can actually have a state that does this, this is where minarchism gets a little bit dicey for me. Whether or not you can actually have a state that actually can sort of deliver on that is to be determined. Actually, no, it's already determined. It really has not been shown to actually happen. But in theory, I guess, maybe. And so I'm happy to say, let's just reduce the state to all the things that we all agree on. The problem is most people are agreeing on more than they should be agreeing on. So let's get to Bastiat's Nobody Plunders Anybody. But anyway, this particular core value with social institutions was one of the reasons why we wanted to address the minarchist, anarchist uh, debate within libertarianism, because LCI does affirm that somebody who is a minarchist is indeed truly can be a libertarian. We don't think that they're not a true libertarian. So that's core value number four. Social institutions matter for human flourishing. Core value number five. Christian theology affirms the essential tenets of free market economics. Respect for private property, voluntary exchange, condemnation of theft, and the value of cooperation and service towards achieving common goals flow naturally from Christian thought and habit. This is what defines capitalism in the libertarian view. Wealth is a tool given by God, and all who possess such wealth are expected to utilize it for God's kingdom and the good of our neighbor. Taxation and regulation tend to destroy wealth, discourage innovation, and centralize power, and therefore hamper our ability to fulfill the calling of God. Where free markets are allowed to flourish, human beings will prosper both materially and spiritually. Additionally, Christian ethics helps equip our economies for service toward God and neighbor. So that's core value number five. Again, notice that um, with our little comment there about taxation and regulation tend to destroy wealth. So this is where we have just a little bit of room to have the minarchist view because, you know, we say taxation and regulation tend to destroy wealth. Well, that is really what they do. But in order to allow for a minarchist view, what we want to say is, well, in theory, we could see that this could be optimal, like a minimal level of taxation. Let's say 1% of our income just goes to the government so that they can provide public services like protection. Okay, that's not really where I'd want to be. I don't think that's a principled stance. But at the same time, that's not the same kind of wealth-destroying, innovation-squandering, centralization of power. I think we could live with that. Um, you know, I've often said, if all you really want the government to do is build the roads and make sure that destitute people are not destitute, I will give you that government because we're now down to 99% smaller than what we have today. So 
we're saying here that the idea here is that capitalism is actually something that we can be in favor of. We want to define capitalism here as respect for private property, voluntary exchange, condemnation of theft, and the value of cooperation and service toward achieving common goals. There's that word common again. And we're not so hyper-individualist at LCI that we think that like that's the only thing that matters. No, we think that common goals matter, common good matters. We also believe, of course, that we can work together. And so what does that mean? If we all do that, if we're all cooperating, people talk about this, like the left likes to make fun of the invisible hand. Okay, well, what else would you expect if people are cooperating in service toward one another? What else would you expect than for progress and prosperity? Like, hello, these are good things. And so that's why we would affirm capitalism because free market capitalism delivers that. I have this sort of tension to be like, I always want to say the word free market capitalism because the capitalism that we see today is very much like crony capitalism or state capitalism. That's not really what we have in mind. And that's what a lot of people do have in mind when they talk about capitalism. That's what they're talking about. But we believe that when free markets are allowed to flourish, we will both prosper materially and spiritually. This is really important to note. One of the last bastions of anti-capitalist mentality is that, well, okay, fine, fine, fine. Look at all this prosperity that we have. Uh, you'll even hear this from the right. Look at all this prosperity in, that we have through liberalism and free economies. But we're suffering spiritually. And we have so many people just aching for things. And all they do is consume, consume, consume. And they're not finding it in the market. They haven't sought their true rest in God, right? These people think that like we're spiritually anemic because we're materially prosperous. And there's nothing inherently inaccurate about that to some extent. First of all, I'll just note that being spiritually anemic and being spiritually depleted or just being spiritually unaware is not a problem that was brought about by modern capitalism and modern liberalism. There's always been people who rejected spirituality or rejected the aspect of their lives that they were spiritual. And so I don't know how many emails I got recently because it's now the holiday season in 2023 where there's people selling all kinds of deals, right? There's Enneagram, there's Best Self. They have like uh, journals that you can do. And it's very popular for people to market to those who are looking to quote unquote find themselves and find themselves in a way that is, you could call it self-help, self-growth and all of that. I don't know how big the market for self-help and personal growth is in third world countries or in developing nations. I don't know what the market was like in China. 40 years ago when like everybody was just wanting to eat. So there are people out there who are looking for things and there are others who are willing to help direct them. And this is where the, the role of the church comes in and says, hey, we have the answer. You can't find your hope in free market economics. You don't find your hope in stuff. You find your hope through Christ. And let me tell you who is truly king. Let me give you the good news that says, hey, you have a new king who you can be allegiant to. And you now have a new purpose. You've been given new life. You've been given salvation. This is a gift for you. You can't earn it on your own. You can't self-help your way to salvation, right? And so Christians actually know this, but the anti-spirituality element and the critique against modern flourishing and capitalism is actually just sort of a last-ditch effort to sort of be like, oh, well, yeah, but what about this? It's like they keep coming up with reasons to hate capitalism and they just don't want to admit that it actually is good for people. So that's really one thing that's like really relevant about this is that this is still going on. 
And I just wanted to make one more note about this core value. It says, wealth is a tool given by God and all who possess such wealth are expected to utilize it for God's kingdom and the good of our neighbor. So the whole stewardship piece, this is really important. And so if you believe that you don't have much, okay, whatever measure that God has given you, you are to be a good steward of, whether it's a lot, whether it's a little, whether you consider it a lot or consider it a little. You could be a millionaire, but the people you, the circles that you run in, they're these people who have so much more and you might consider yourself as not having as much. Whatever that is, whatever that amount is, you need to use it for the kingdom of God. You get to discern what that is based on, you know, prayer, where God's leading you in your life, that kind of thing. But wealth is to be used by God. And it's not something to just be thrown out and be like, oh, wealth, oh, I don't want to do that because then it just shows that I'm, I don't know, oppressor or something like that. So wealth can be good. And wealth is good, especially when used in the right hands and not in the hands of government who will always use it for coercive means. So that's core value number five. Christian theology affirms the essential tenets of free market economics. All right. So that is a quick review of the core values. We go into further detail from a few years back uh, on our episodes that we did then. I'll link those in the show notes page. Hopefully, um, you enjoyed listening to this. Uh, Haven't done a solo episode in a while, and I wanted to kind of just review these. You will also know that either soon or recently, Alex Bernardo and Jacob Winograd on the Protestant Libertarian Podcast and the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, respectively, are also going to do essentially what I just did, is review them and talk about their what, what it means to them and what stood out to them. And so I encourage you to go listen to those episodes and then uh, send us an email, podcast at libertarianchristians.com. Let us know what you think. Tell me how bad mine was and how good Alex was or vice versa. And so I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Podcast at libertarianchristians.com. All right, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to find out more about LCI, visit us on the web at libertarianchristians.com. The voiceovers are by Matt Bellis and Catherine Williams. As of episode 115, our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com. Hello, everyone. It's Doug from the Libertarian Christian Podcast. You might notice already that this recording sounds quite a bit different from usual. In fact, it probably sounds pretty crappy. Well, I'm doing this to show you something pretty amazing. As you might know, the guys over at Podsworth Media have been producing my show for several years, quite a while, hundreds of episodes. And now they have a brand new online app for taking rough recordings like this one and making them sound a whole lot cleaner and a lot more listenable in just a few easy clicks. So here are some of the core features. They remove background noise. It reduces plosives, which is really handy for me because I often forget to put my pop filter on before I do a YouTube video. I often forget to put my pop filter on before I do a YouTube video because pop filters look terrible when you're on camera. It fixes clipping. It removes clicks and pops. It fixes clipping. It removes clicks and pops. It evenly levels dialogue so that you don't have somebody talking really quietly. And then somebody talking really loud because they're too close to the mic or too far away from the mic.
and evenly levels dialogue so that you don't have somebody talking really quietly and then somebody talking really loud because they're too close to the mic or too far away from the mic. How do you use it? It's easy. You go to podsworth.com, you click get started. And because you're a listener to one of the Libertarian Christian Institute's podcasts, you can get 50% off your first order by entering the promo code LCI50. That's LCI50, and you will get 50% off your first order. If you are doing anything like a podcast, a video, a sermon, an audiobook, anything that's spoken word, you want to use podsworth.com and clean up your audio to be even more professional and polished. You want to use podsworth.com and clean up your audio to be even more professional and polished.